Good. Okay. That being said, let's pray. We're going to go to the word together this morning. Pray with me. Oh God, I'm grateful for your presence here with us. I'm grateful, Spirit, that you uh, speak to us, that we have your word here in front of us, and that you illuminate it, that God, that you shine a light on your word, that we might understand it and be transformed by it from the inside out. God, speak to us today in and through your word and uh, draw us nearer to yourself. Renew our hearts, renew our spirits uh, so that we might serve you and know you better. In Christ's name, God's people together said, amen. All right, for some of you that are joining us for the very first time today and for some of you who have been uh, here the last couple weeks, we, we do need to kind of do a review. We're in the middle of a series called Take heart. Essentially what we're doing is we're examining all the passages of scripture where the Bible commands us to take heart. And we started on Easter Sunday with John chapter 16 verse 33. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Everybody's favorite Bible promise, right? In this world, I promise, you're going to have a hard time. But Jesus says, take heart. For I have overcome the world. So we learned on Easter that we don't have to fear death. That forgiveness on a cosmic level is available in the here and now. And I can live as a world overcomer. That's why I can take heart. And then we talked about with a woman with a chronic issue of blood. Chronic bleeding for 12 years. And we saw that we can take heart because God's healing power will have its effect in me. Even physically. You know, as my body deteriorates, as this tent that I'm living in deteriorates, when I come to God and ask for healing, he is going to answer me in one of two ways. He will either A, heal me, or B, take me home to be with him and give me a brand new body. And we also learn that in our spirit, God's healing power means joy. It means belonging. It means trust for me each and every day. And today, we're going to talk specifically about this one aspect of the Bible's admonition to us to take heart. When the Bible encourages us to take heart, we're going to talk about this one specific aspect of it. That word, take heart, of that phrase means be of good cheer. It means be joyful. It means stand firm. But it also means don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So today, we're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about fear. I was doing a little research on fear this week and I actually googled like most common phobias online. Have you ever done this before? I googled most common phobias and and what it gave me was the weirdest and strangest phobia. So we're going to do a little pop quiz here this morning. We're going to put some phobias up on the screen and, and, and you tell me if you know what this phobia is. Put this first one up here. This is an easy one. Somnophobia. Fear of sleep, right? Not inability to sleep, that's insomnia. Somnophobia is fear of sleep. How about this one? Hippopotomonstrosesquipedaleophobia. <laughs> Literally, it's the fear of long words. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Linguists are jerks, man. Um, some of you, you'll get that joke in an hour. Uh, Arachabotyrophobia. Anybody know what this one is? Fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Arachnophobia, fear of spiders. This one is fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. How about nomophobia? Nomophobia. Anybody? Fear of being disconnected from your mobile phone. It's it's literally what it is. It's it's an abbreviation. No more phone. Nomophobia. 
My wife would tell you I have this. How about chorophobia? Anybody know what chorophobia is? It's fear of dance. Fear of dance. In the church world, we call these people Baptists. <laughs> church people like that joke. Um, if you have this fear, I can help you. Watch the movie Footloose. Kevin Bacon will teach you how to dance. He taught that, he taught that town how to dance. Buddy, I tell you what, love that movie. I actually read a study one time that said that the fear of public speaking is more common than the fear of death. When people list their fears, they would list fear of public speaking. They're more afraid of public speaking than they are of death. So get this. This is what that means. If you're at a funeral, there are people in the room that would rather be in the casket (laughs) than they would give the eulogy. That's what that means. Most common fears are fear of spiders, fear of snakes. I hate those doggone things. Fear of heights, fear of dogs, fear of thunder, fear of injections, fear of germs. They're all on the list of top 10 fears. But all those things are external, right? They're outside of us, spiders, dogs, injections. I find that the fears that come from inside of us are typically the ones that are most crippling. The fear of failure, the fear of being hurt, the fear of looking stupid, the fear of rejection, the fear of being forgotten about, fear of being alone, fear of what might happen in the future. And, and, you know, fear isn't necessarily bad. It's not necessarily wrong. It's just an emotion. As my friend would say, emotions are the exhaust system for the soul. They're not bad or wrong. But listen, when fear begins to hijack our decision-making skills, that's when we get into trouble. That's when we get into trouble. When we're too afraid of being rejected that we refuse to be vulnerable. See, fear has hijacked my decision-making skills. When we're too afraid of failure, that we don't step out in faith to do the big thing that God has called us to do, that's when we get in trouble. When we're so afraid of what might happen in the future that we refuse to take risks or try anything new, we get in trouble. And Psalm chapter 27 has something to say about our fears. If you have your Bible, open it up to Psalms chapter 27. If you don't know where the Psalms are at, it's really easy. Just hold your Bible like this in front of you and open to the middle. You'll be in the Psalms. The great thing about the Bible is the chapters are in numerical order. So if you're around Psalm 100, go to the left. If you're around Psalm 1 or 2, go to the right. You'll eventually hit Psalms chapter 27. Most of you know I typically preach from the English Standard Version, translation of the Bible. Today we're going to look at the New International Version translation just because it reads a little bit smoother. All the same ideas, all the same stuff, just the translation reads a little bit smoother. So Psalms chapter 27, I want us all to be there. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. There's one in the seat back in front of you. You can just grab that or you can look up here on the screens. The scripture will be up here. Psalms chapter 27, here we go. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble He will keep me safe in His dwelling. 
He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and what, Bayview Glenn? Take heart and wait for the Lord. Look at verse 14 again. It's so important. This is kind of our critical verse. This is the verse we're going to camp out on for our time together this morning. Look back at it again. The psalmist says this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In this case, that word take heart means don't be afraid. Live fearlessly. And the way this psalm is structured is very interesting. Verse 14 is the admonition. It's the call to action. It's the conclusion. And verses 1 through 13 are the arguments as to why. So essentially, here's what our psalmist is doing. He says, because of the reasons I've listed in verses 1 through 13... Do, verse 14, which is live without fear. Be fearless. And fearless living sounds pretty good to me. So let's talk about the psalmist's reasons why we can live without fear. What is he using to motivate us, to tell us, to convince us? And then how do we do that? Let's take a look at those. So let's start with a little context. A guy named David wrote this psalm. Many of you know who David is. If you do not, that's okay. I'll give you a quick crash course. David served as earthly king of God's people long before even Jesus came along. In fact, David's really interesting because he's kind of an indicator. He's kind of a precursor. He's a shadow of who Jesus would be and what Jesus would do generations before Jesus even showed up on the scene. We don't have time to get into all of that today. Before David, God's people were a ragtag group of 12 nomadic tribes just scattered around. David was the warrior king who kind of rallied those tribes together. He united those tribes and made them a very powerful kingdom. David made Israel something to be reckoned with. But David's life wasn't always easy. He was actually anointed king of Israel. Get this. He was anointed king of Israel while there was already a king in place, a guy named Saul. Let me ask you this, for those of you who who work in the corporate world, how would that go at your job? For the board to come to the CEO and say, hey, here's the deal. One day, you're going to go completely bonkers, and you're pretty much going to run this company into the ground. And there's a new guy that's going to take your place, and we're going to like him a lot better. We invited him in today for a little meet and greet, get to know one another. It went about that well in Israel, too. It did not go well. 
So for 20 years, David had been anointed king, and he had not taken uh, the throne yet before Saul. And Saul, for many of those 20 years, sought out David and tried to kill him. David was on the run from Saul for a very long time. Once David took the throne, they would write songs about him. The songs went like this. Saul, the previous king, has slain his thousands, but David, David has slain his tens of thousands. If they wrote songs like that about you, if they wrote songs like that about me, we would do exactly what David did, which was get arrogant and get prideful. And his arrogance led to an affair. Not just an affair, an affair with his best soldier's wife. And he got her pregnant, and he tried to cover it up, but it didn't work. So the way David solved it was he had the man killed. This is the life of David. With those kinds of decisions as your family background, with that kind of history in your background, how do you think his family looked after that? You're right, not good. Not good at all. But David is writing this psalm, Psalm 27, and he's telling us this. He has no one to fear. Seriously. After all that mess, after all that sin, after all that ugliness, after all that difficulty, David is saying, I live fearlessly and you can too. Let's just pause here and let this sink in. Bottom line truth number one, let this sink in. You don't have to be perfect to be fearless. If you're taking notes, just jot that down. I don't have to be perfect to be fearless. David wasn't. And he just, wrote, he just wrote this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. I don't have to fear anybody. And he was not perfect. You know, we do this all the time for those of us who struggle with fear and anxiety. I'm one of those people that struggle with fear and anxiety. We confuse courage with perfection. We confuse courage with perfection. We, we look at other people and we think, wow, they're so courageous. They're living without fear. They are fearless. And what we really mean is they seem perfect and I'm all messed up. That's what we really mean. For those of you who work in a corporate environment, you know the guy that, uh, at the office that kind of seems like he has it all together, he has great hair, and he always gets the promotion, and you can see his abs through his overcoat, you know what I'm talking about? And we look at that guy and we think, man, he has no fear, he's living without fear. And what we mean is, he's perfect and I'm not. Women of God, especially moms, moms, we do this all the time. I watch moms do this. You look at a perfect soccer mom who's the perfect wife, the perfect servant at church, dressed cute, and her kids are always perfect, and she has a little Etsy business on the side selling all her cute perfectness, you know? <laughs> she must be fearless. She must be living without fear. Let me just break it to you. Those people are probably not courageous, and they are most definitely not perfect. They're just hiding their fear with a really good-looking facade. No one is perfect. We all have fear. You cannot be perfect, but you can be fearless. You cannot be perfect, but you can be fearless. Please don't get those two things mixed up. That's not what we're talking about. Here's what David tells us this morning in Psalm 27. Is your life messed up? Have you made bad decisions? Do you face those consequences on a regular basis? 
relax, says David, I have two. But fearlessness is not perfection, and you don't have to be perfect to be fearless. It's actually quite the opposite. Fearless living actually begins when I recognize my own imperfection, and I praise God for His glory. Fearless living begins when I recognize my own imperfection and praise God for His glory. Look at the first six verses of this psalm. First six verses, David declares that God is a light. God is his salvation. God is a stronghold. God is sovereign. God is victorious. And God is worthy of praise. Now, there are psalms where David thanks God for what he's done. Right now, he's worshiping God simply for who he is. He is declaring God's unchanging character. All the reasons God deserves worship. My favorite worship moment in Psalm 27, 1 through 6 is verse 4. Look at it with me. David writes this. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And I love this. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Honestly, this is it. This is Christianity. This is living your life in Christ. It's not church. It's not, Bible, it's not Bible reading. It's not church attendance. It's not even experiencing God's blessings. It's simply experiencing God, gazing upon his beauty, seeking him in his temple. David says he wants to gaze upon, look steadily and intently, gloat in, wallow in the beauty, kindness, glory, delightfulness, pleasantness, and worthiness of the Lord. This is true worship, and it leads to fearless living. Standing in awe before a holy God and declaring his unchanging character is worship, and it leads to fearless living. I want to kind of draw a line for us here this morning because it, it was, it's been very, very helpful to me. The difference between worshiping God and thanking God. We worship God for who he is. We thank him for what he's done. We worship God for who he is. We thank him for what he's done. Things aren't worthy of worship, worthy of praise because of what they've done. They're worthy of worship. Something is worthy of worship because of who they are or who he is intrinsically. How they're built, how they're wired, their essence. That's what, that's what makes God worthy of worship, not what he's done. We thank him for what he's done, absolutely. We come and do that each and every Sunday morning. You do that before meals. You do that on a weekly basis with your family, I'm sure. But, but we worship him for who he is. Let me illustrate it. I heard a pastor tell this story a few years ago. It's so helpful for me to wrap my mind around the difference between thanking God and worshiping God. And the difference between thanking God for what he's done and worship means uh, we're, we're worshiping him for who he is is. I have a dog. Her name is Misha. Uh, she turns seven June 1st. Uh, you can send cards and letters if you'd like. I love that little dog. Um, she is the best. She gets everything that she wants pretty much. She's a little princess in our house. Um, she's 75 pounds. She's a Weimaraner. She's very, very smart. She sleeps in her crate every night. So let's say that my house caught on fire and I was sleeping and I didn't realize it. I didn't smell the smoke. I didn't feel the heat or whatever. I was just conked out, dead to the world. That's how I sleep, by the way. So this is not a far-fetched story so far. 
This is where it gets far-fetched. Let's say that Misha lets herself out of her crate. Impossible because she has no thumbs, but that's beside the point. Let's say she lets herself out of her crate, and she runs into bed, and she hops on bed with me, and she licks my face until I wake up, and I say, Misha, how'd you get out of your crate? And she says, don't worry about that now. The house is on fire. And I say, Misha, where'd you learn to talk? And she says, we don't have time to talk about that. You have to get out of the house. It's on fire. So Misha says, follow me. I'll show you the safety way, right? So I'll show you the safe way. So we go out of the house and we get out of the house and we watch the house burn to the ground. And I look at my dog and I think, you have saved me from this fire. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, if that really happened, you would not blame me for thanking my dog. You would not blame me for buying her the best bed ever and all the best food and giving her something from my plate. You wouldn't think I was silly for doing any of that stuff. You wouldn't say, think I was silly for telling that story to people. You would think I was silly if I worshipped my dog. Because you thank something or someone for what they've done. You worship something or someone for who they are. It doesn't matter how amazing what the person has done or what the thing has done. They're worthy of gratitude, they're worthy of thanks, but only God is worthy of worship. We wouldn't come here on a Sunday morning and sing, How great is my dog. <laughs> sing with me, how great is my dog. And all will see how great, how great is my dog. Why nobody sing with me? Because it's stupid, right? It's stupid. Why? Because we are, God is worthy of worship for who he is. He's done great things, absolutely. He's worthy of worship for who he is. What does worship have to do with fearless living? What does worship have to do with fearless living? Let me read you something that Jesus wrote, or Jesus said, uh, recorded by Luke in Luke chapter 12. The scripture's up here on the screen. You don't need to turn there. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, some of you are thinking, this is the worst Mother's Day verse ever. It likely is, except, keep reading, verse 6. Jesus says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered, so what? Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Here's what Jesus is saying. God is greater God is worthy of worship. God is worthy of praise. And when we stand before a holy God in awe and in worship, and we bow down before him and we say, only you, God, only you are worthy of worship. I come before you with fear and trembling. And guess what? That God knows how many hairs are on your head. You are worth so much to him. He values me. He calls me his own. The only one who should actually inspire fear is on my team. He's on my side because I'm far more valuable than many sparrows. Whom then shall I fear? And all of a sudden, my worship of God becomes a foundation for fearless living.
I don't have to fear because the only one who's worthy of fear, he's on my team. He loves me and he loves you. We can live fearlessly when we start with worship. In verses 1 through 6, David begins by worshiping God for who he is, praising him for his character. Then and only then does he move on to asking the Lord for help. In other words, confirming God's character, worshiping him for who he is, comes before crying out to him. Here's David's model. Begin with worship, then cry out to God for your request. Begin with worship, then cry out to God with your request. Look at how the second half of the psalm starts. Verse 7, everybody look at it. Verse 7, it's up here on the screen too. Look down at it in your Bible. You can circle it, whatever you want to do. David writes this, Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. He's coming to the Lord with his request. He says, hear my voice when I call. I'm calling out to you for assistance. I'm calling out to you for help. I've worshipped you for who you are. Now I'm calling out to you for help. What does David need the Lord's help with? Well, in verses 2, 3, and 6, he says that armies are encamped around him. In this case, it's his son. Not kidding. His son's name is Absalom. He had undermined his father's authority as king. He had recruited many of his father's troops. He turned the kingdom against his father, and he was organizing a coup against his father, David. You think you have rebellious teenagers? When's the last time they were camped around your house? David had a rebellious teenager. His name was Absalom. And he goes to the Lord and he says, these armies are encamped around me. I need your help. Look at verse 10. David says, my father and mother have forsaken me. Have you heard the old blues song, only my mama loves me and she might be jiving too? It's like the second worst Mother's Day uh, verse ever, by the way. Uh, This is likely metaphor, by the way. David isn't talking about his literal mom and dad. He's saying that all the people who were supposed to be on my team have abandoned me. I need you, God, to receive me. I'm calling out to you for help. In other words, I have no advocate. Verse 12, he says, people are spreading false rumors about me, malicious accusations. I don't know about you, but false rumors about me are a real great way to hurt me really badly. And to make me angry really quickly. And David doesn't fight back. He doesn't get scared. He doesn't cower in fear in the corner. What does he do? He comes to the Lord and he lays his request before the Lord. He says, I need your assistance. I need your help. I need you to come alongside me. I have worshipped you for who you are. Now I just come and I lay my request before you. I absolutely love this. David does in Psalm 27 what he tells us to do in Psalm 55. Here's what he writes in Psalm 55. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote the book of Peter in the New Testament. He would say it this way. Cast all your anxiety, cast all your fear, cast all your worry on him because he cares for you. Bottom line truth, if you're taking notes, jot it down. I can be fearless when I give my fear to God. I can be fearless when I give my fear to God, when I do what Peter is telling me to do, when I do what David is challenging me to do, when I do what David models in Psalm 27, I worship God and then I bring my fear, I bring my request before him, I can live fearlessly. Why? Because when I ask God for help, I'm recruiting an advocate that is larger than anything I could ever fear. When I come to the Lord on high for help, 
I'm recruiting an advocate that is bigger and badder and better than anything I could fear. We sing a song around here, love it. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than any other. That's the advocate that we recruit when we face a fear. Bigger and better and greater than anything we could face. It's like the kid on the playground that's getting beat up by the other kids, and he goes and calls older brother, plus five friends, and those guys come back. Guess whose fear goes away? The little kid that's getting beat up real quickly. Why? Because he now has an advocate that is bigger and greater than what he feared in that moment. When we come to the Lord and we say, oh God, I need your help. Oh God, I need your assistance. Oh God, I have a fear. I have a challenge. I'm facing something. Come alongside me. We're recruiting an advocate that is greater than anything we could fear. And we can live fearlessly when we give our fear to him. Fearless living begins with worship. Then we ask God for help, and finally, we wait. We wait. Look at verse 14. David concludes the psalm this way. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and, say it again, take heart and wait for the Lord. We've talked about this before, but here's the nature of prayer. God always hears. God always answers. And his answers differ from time to time. We come to the Lord and we say, oh God, please come alongside. Oh God, please do this. Oh God, please help me in this way. And God either says yes, or he says no, or he says, you know what? You're asking for this, like a good parent. He says, you're asking for this, but I'm going to give you something better than that. Or the fourth answer that God comes back with is wait, wait. As I get older, I find God saying wait far more often than I would like. Many of you know that my wife and I are in this adoption process. The Lord has said wait to us a number of times. In my development and ministry and as kind of as I grew as a pastor, the Lord had to say wait to me a number of times. But listen, when we come to God and we say, God, I have this circumstance. Would you fix it? And he says wait That's a strategy on his part. He's trying to teach us something. He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to draw us close to himself. And being close to him, gazing on his beauty, relying on him during that time of waiting is where fearlessness comes from. Because listen close, fearlessness doesn't come from perfect circumstances. It comes from the Lord. Fearlessness does not come from circumstances where there's nothing to fear. Fearlessness comes from the Lord. Fearlessness does not come when there's nothing to fear. Fearlessness comes from God. There's always something to fear. Fearlessness comes from God. So when God says to us, wait, and in that waiting, rely on me, and we tuck up underneath the shadow of his wings, when we're protected by him, in that time of waiting, he lifts our head up above our enemies, above what's been encamped around us, and he says, you are safe, you are accepted, you are received. That God of glory that we worship and that we come to, in that time of waiting, we find fearlessness in him. I recently uh, heard a story, this woman in our congregation, uh, a friend, um, that has kind of put this trio into play in her life, this worshiping God and bringing requests to him and then waiting on him to answer. 
And it actually caused her to kind of live in a pretty fearless and, a, and do a pretty courageous thing. And I wanted to give her an opportunity to share her story. So we actually uh, took, a time to, took the time to record it this past, uh, these past few weeks. And so uh, take a look at Kim's story uh, on the screens behind me. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. About four and a half years ago, I had a stroke, and um, even through that, for the first little while, I um, I wasn't saved, and um, but I had a lot of Christians around me, and people from the church were coming to visit me at the hospital, and, and I was in the hospital for quite some time, and um, because of my work situation, I had a fair amount of time off, and I came to um, need a little bit more in my life, so I started working in the church office um, a couple days a week on reception, and um, we would do devotions uh, every morning, and then I was starting to feel like there was no pressure from anybody, and I don't know if anybody really knew that I wasn't a Christian. It was laid on my heart quite heavily that I was a phony. I was working in the church office, I was coming, I was doing Bible studies, and you know, I was soaking it in, but I wasn't living the life that Christ wanted me to live, so I needed to do something about it. And uh, one day when I came into work in the office, I, I went into one of the pastors and I said, I need to pray and I need to take asked Jesus to be my savior, and uh, from that moment on, it was the best day of my life. When I was first baptized, the immediate thing that I felt after baptizing, after coming out of the water, I just wanted Bruce to feel that cleanliness and wholesomeness that Jesus all of a sudden gave me for, for being baptized. And throughout the course of time, while I was wanting my husband to be saved as well, um, I would often ask him how he felt about the service um, that particular day or just interject some of my thoughts and scriptures that I would know, hoping that those scriptures would be the thing that would also bring him to salvation. One night, um, Bruce came to me and he said that, um, you know, we hadn't done a devotion for a couple days and we should do a devotion. And he'd asked me earlier in the fall, um, about doing purpose-driven life and I thought that's a great one there's probably you know lots in there that we can both learn and we had done the study before so it's time to revisit that study after the fourth chapter the first four chapters to me were clearly all about salvation and and the need to have Jesus in your life and I really felt that God was leading me that night and giving me the courage to say you know, this is the night you need to ask Bruce if he's ready to receive Jesus as your Savior. And um, when we got to the end of the chapter, I asked Bruce, are you ready to receive Jesus as your Savior? And he said with a resounding yes, and the tears just rolled out of my eyes. I was so thankful. Again, God was there. He answered my prayers, and he showed me his promises. Never give up. Know that God is there. No matter how small or big your trust or 
knowledge or love of God is. He is there for you. And while some situations may take its time, never give up because God is love. He's kindness. He's all-encompassing. He is everything in a friend that you could possibly want. Would y'all thank Kim for sharing her story? Did you hear those themes in there? A worship of God in her own life, a recognition of who he is and his character. Asking him to move in Bruce's heart. There's the request that she brought before the Lord. And then she waited on him for the right timing. Just waited on the Lord. And then did you hear her say it? God gave me the courage. Took away that fear. And I said, Bruce, would you like to receive Christ? And then he did. I absolutely love that. I'm so grateful for Kim for sharing her story. I'm not typically an alliteration guy, but um, just kind of came up with this handle this week to help us understand Psalm 27 in its entirety and what it means to live fearlessly. And, and it just turned out that, that it actually was alliterative. So just here's, here's our handle. If, if, if you want just like one thing to walk away with today, here's what it is. This is how to live fearlessly. Praise plus petition plus patience equals fearless living. So when I, when I alliterate, I absolutely commit to it. I just say, hey, we are going to make sure that everything starts with a P. So you can, you can pronounce it fearless if you'd like, um, or you can just leave the P silent like I do. Praise, worshiping God for who he is, declaring his unchanging character, falling on our knees before him, gazing on the beauty of the Lord in his temple. Plus petition, coming to the Lord with our requests and saying, God, I need your assistance. I need your help. Come alongside me. I need your help. And then we wait. Patience. We wait on him to answer. And then we stand and we can take heart and live without fear. As we continue our worship this morning, I'm going to ask the band and worship team to come back up to conclude uh, and um, lead us in a song. We're going to actually receive communion as well. Last but not least, as these guys come up, I don't know what it is for you today. I don't know what that thing is in your life that you fear. I don't know what that thing is that might be lurking. That's between you and God. But living above it, not being controlled by it, having your head set above your enemies is simply a matter of worshiping God, laying your requests before Him, and waiting on his answer. And when the process is done, go back to the beginning and start with worship again. As the ushers come forward to uh, distribute the elements, um, I would just encourage you on a couple of notes. Uh, the reason that we do this, for those of you who may be new to this, is the bread that we're going to take together, just a little kind of wafer of bread and the juice that we take together, represent the body and the blood of Christ, the body that was given for us on the cross, the blood that was shed for us on the cross. And the church has been doing this for 2,000 years. There's nothing magical about the cup. There's nothing magical about the bread. They're simply symbols. They're representations of the grace that Jesus has extended to us on the cross and the, the fact that he has paid the debt that we owe.
For those of you who may not be Christ followers today, we're so glad that you're here. We would ask you to pass on this part of the service. Just pass that tray on by you. For those of us who are Christ followers, it's our opportunity to celebrate and come to the Lord, celebrate Jesus' last words. It is finished. It's paid in full. So in these next moments as we sing, I would just invite you to come before the Lord in confession. Bring your sin to him, enjoy his forgiveness, and let's come to the Lord's table with a clear conscience and a pure heart. Ushers, if you would come forward and serve us, and let's pray as they come forward. God, we love you, and we come before you now in this time with hearts of reverence, with hearts of awe. We worship you. God, we love you today, and we just take the time to remember with these symbols, the bread and the juice your body and blood that was given for us, shed for us. Draw us near to you in this time. In the name of Christ, God's people said, amen. Ushers, if you would serve us, and Mark and team, if you would lead us.